time for zooming in. The Lord bless you. Thanks, Graham, for that worship. It was just too nice and tuned us into the Lord. So let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, of coming around your word. And we thank you, the Holy Spirit, Lord, as our guide and our teacher. And we just ask, Lord, that you minister each one at the point of our need. And I be conscious of your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's nice to be with you this morning. I don't have a prophetic word for Tom Dick or Harry, but I do have the word of the Lord. And I'm quite confident that the Lord's going to speak to you this morning. So be expecting. In fact, you should get a wee pen. And when it just resonates with you, just note it. For the Lord has a word for you. It's a joy to be with you. I want to read a few scriptures. I'm reading from Acts chapter 16. And starting at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision immediately, we endeavoured to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel there. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothria, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city, abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women, which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of the theatre, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. And she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptised and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And over to the Philippians, chapter 1, reading from verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel, from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds, and in defense of the con and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Well, we're in lockdown, and I'm quite sure, like most of us, you've heard all the pundits saying, we know it's light at the tunnel, the future's not forgotten, 
things are getting better, and so on. I come up on my own this morning, and this in lockdown, and here it is, two lines. Stick with it, but don't be stuck. Stick with it, but don't be stuck. Paul was in lockdown. He was in prison. Not only in prison, but he was waiting a trial that the result might be death. But we find him rejoicing. He's in lockdown, but he's not stuck. He gives us the Ephesians, Colossians, Philippi, and Philemon, all from his prison cell, reaching out. And he writes this letter to the Philippians. He's not constrained. Constrained physically, but not spiritually. The media, the news, the television, all filled with concern about our mental health and the state of our mentality in this lockdown. And they give all sorts of tips on how to keep yourself sane. I want to give you some tips this morning for your spiritual health in lockdown. You're stuck in, but you don't need to be stuck. If you're stuck, you need to move. And I'm going to tell you four things you can do to move. Break your boundaries. Push out. The first one is prayer. You're not confined. Your prayer still go to heaven. Your prayer still reach God. And you can then broaden your prayer life. If you're a wee quick prayer in the morning, man, well, double it. If you be like Sam and David, I pray in the morning, I pray at noon, I pray in the afternoon, I pray in the evening. Jesus says all things by prayer. So double your prayer life. If you're praying for a minute, pray for five. You know, four hours is possible, and even all night is possible. You can extend your time with the Lord. Seek his face. Take time to listen. Be still and know that he is God. And I'll bless your soul. Reach out. Push out the boundary. Double your prayer life. <laughs> the time that's over, you'll be a prayer warrior. Second area is sing. Sing unto yourself psalms and songs. Enter his courts with praise. Tell you what you do. Get your hymn book. Go through it. And fill your soul with these old gems. What a friend we have in Jesus. No other alone. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. All these old gems will stir your soul and stir your heart and fill you with joy. Tell you, you'll be singing in your bedroom. You'll be singing in your bathroom. You'll be singing in the kitchen. Fill the house with the songs of praise. And you'll lift your heart. Then you can push your boundary in the word of God. If you're just a chapter a day, man. Push out to a book a day. If you're every word with Jesus person, get into the chapters recommended. You're into the word. The word of God is the bread of life that feeds your soul, that nourishes you. In the word of God, there's wisdom, there's guidance, there's joy unspeakable. It's a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. It will broaden you. And show you a joy. And lastly, get over the boundary. 
get over the boundary. You know, get through the walls of your house. Well, how do we do that? How about writing a letter? Someone you've not seen for years, or ages, an old acquaintance. Send a letter and say, I've just been thinking about you. The Lord bless you. What will that do? That will renew. That will renew old fellowships, old friendships. Send someone a text to buck them up. Just say, God bless you. That'll throw them. And I'll throw you. It's better to give than receive. Phone someone that's stuck on their own. They'll be glad to hear you. They'll be fed up talking to themselves. They'll bless them and they'll bless you. So reach out. Make your lockdown a ministry. Paul wasn't shut in prison. But he says he can't chain the word of God. And he continued his ministry and gave us a quarter of the New Testament. So reach out. Stick with it. But don't be stuck. And what beyond lockdown? If you're looking for a title for the sermon upon it, it would have been lockdown and beyond. What are we looking forward to beyond the lockdown? Well, if you listen to YouTube and all those sorts of things, you'll be looking for the end of the world. <laughs> well, that may be because it's now nearer than when we first believed. But what we're really looking for in lockdown, what we're looking, we're looking to get back to church, aren't we? That's our desire, get back to the church. And the question I want you to ask this morning is really, what can the church do we want to be when we get back? And that turned me to this church in Philippi, very like ours. This church in Philippi was birthed at a vision. But in the next, Paul had a man saying, come over and help us. And immediately thought, well, <laughs> it's the call of God. Every work of God starts with a vision. And New Beginners was no different. Interesting thing is, we never hear that, God, that Paul met the man in Macedonia that called him. But they went to Macedonia and did outreach. The, the Philippi was the main city. It was a colony of Rome. That meant it had the same status as Romans. It was a pagan city. Paul's strategy was always the first to go to the synagogue. But there was no synagogue in Philippi. You know what that means? There were less than 10 male Jews in, in Philippi. So they couldn't form a synagogue. So it was virgin territory. And like all good preachers, open-air preachers, you know, the thing they do is they look for a place where the crowds gather. And the Bible says they were there for several days. And they go down to the riverside where the women gather. That's where they wash their clothes in those days. They didn't have a Bendix or a Phillips washing machine. They bashed it on the stones. <laughs> and they gathered there. <laughs> and that was the talking shop and the gathering place, the footprint. And it says, and they discovered a ladies' prayer meeting led by Lydia, who was a businesswoman in Philippi. And it says, Lydia responded to the word. She opened up her heart to the Lord and was baptized. And she invites Paul, she says, if I've found favor, you come, set you up with your base in my home. 
So the church in Philippi moved from a ladies' prayer meeting to a home church. And it was a church of outreach and joy and gospel preaching. So much so that Paul and Sam were arrested, put in prison. We're told they were beaten, feet in the stocks. Now there's a lockdown for you. But they sang praises. God sent an earthquake and loosed their bonds. The jailer was so relieved, you know, that he, he took them in and he bathed their wounds and heard their message. And he says that his whole household <laughs> became saved. Household in that term doesn't mean just his family, it means his slaves, his servants, all those under his domain. So the church at Philippi was formed with the ladies in the prayer group, the household of Lydia, and the household of the jailer. That was the founding members of the church. When Paul writes his letter, it's nine years later. And the church is growing. And it's structured. And it's organized. Paul writes to the deacons and the elders and the bishops. The church is growing. And he commends them for that which produced the growing. He says, you became first of all followers of the Lord. God began to work in you. And he will finish it. You became a shining light to the world. It was an outreaching church, a witnessing church. You stood fast, he says, for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now they were facing the same opposition that Paul faced when he was arrested and put in prison. It was the same climate, the same environment. But they grew and they grew and became a strong church. A church that Paul writes with joy to. This is the, the most joyful letter that Paul wrote. He's not writing to deal with problems. He's writing to express his thanksgiving. And he's remembrance of them. Have the happy days. There are two key words in the book Philippi. And one is koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship. And that's the question, really. What kind of fellowship are we going to be when we get back together? There's all sorts of fellowship. Fellowship means that we're all in the same boat. I've heard some preachers say, you know, challenge us. Are you on a cargo ship? Are you on a cruise liner? But in reality, we're not neither. We're in a lifeboat. We're the rescued ones. The saved ones. And our fellowship together. It doesn't matter where we come from, our background, our education, our abilities. We're in the boat, saved by the grace of God. And that's the fellowship. It also talks about fellow believers in Jesus. Now, that's a good thing. We are part of the wider body, the Church of Christ, global church. That's why Wesley was able to say, the world is my parish. That's why when we went to Abu Dhabi, we found the same kindred fellowship. Folks in the same manner, <laughs> serving the same Lord, rejoicing in the same spirit. Fellowship with believers, part of the Christ. But there's a limit in that. We don't have a communication with them. We don't have the hugs with them. We don't have the intimate knowledge with them. 
but we're fellow believers. The Bible also talks about fellow workers, fellow workers together in the gospel. There used to be in Glasgow 21 missions under the Glasgow City Mission, as there were in many other cities. Missions were formed by the church to reach those they didn't want in the Sunday morning meetings. The smelly people, the uncouth people, the undressed people. And they had missions. And the purpose of the mission was to get people saved and feed them back into the church. They didn't listen to James. James said, you know, if a poor man comes in, you know, don't tell him to sit in the corner. And the rich man comes in, give him a seat of honour. But that was society in those days. But the mission workers, the Christians who were doing the work, were fellow workers, not fellow members. They had no membership. They weren't allowed memberships. The missions were responsible to the parish. When the Glasgow City Mission made the mission redundant, the missions closed because the workers didn't have membership to carry on. You can be a fellow worker. But what about coin over fellowship? What's the difference? The word koinoa, the Greek word, interpreted in the Bible is fellowship. In New Testament times, the Greek word koinoa, and the word it meant business partnerships. People that went together. But you catch the real meaning of it, it was applied to Siamese twins. Siamese twin, twins were caught, said to be in Koyanua, joined together, one body. When one hurts, the other hurts. So we get a sense of what it's mean to be the body of Christ. Paul talks about us being members of the one body. An eye, an ear, a nose. The body has many members. Each one essential, each one its own contribution, each one necessary. And that's the fellowship Paul talks about in Philippi. You care for one another, you pour one another's burdens, you reach out to one another. You were in Koyanoa fellowship. The other key word in Philippi was kenosis. And in the middle of this, it comes up with this wee problem of Judea uh, and Sinche. Two women have a disagreement. Paul's aware, you know, that a dispute can damage the fellowship, can hurt the fellowship, can leaven the lump and destroy it. There is always going to be differences of opinions, diverse th thoughts in the church. When a dispute arises, we tend to say, we'll need to deal with this. Paul doesn't say, we'll need to deal with this. Unlike when he was dealing with the Corinthian church, sort out your sexual problems. You need to deal with that man. 
And this turn, Casey says, listen, brethren, help these women. Who were they? These two women were in the original prayer meeting. These two women were fellow laborers with Paul and his mission with Philippi. These two women were founding members of the church. These two women had their names written in the Nan's Book of Life. And if you met them, you think, oh, she's a wonderful Christian. Marvelous Christian. You met them separately. But they have a disgust. They have a difference and a fallout. Paul says, help them. How can we help differences and avoid them becoming splits? If you and I had the a disagreement about the meaning of a word. We get a dictionary. And that settles it. We both agree. The way the Bible settles differences in Scripture is they don't look for the guilt. They look for the right. When there's a dispute, we immediately think somebody's wrong. <laughs> but in reality it's possible for the both to be right. In the dispute between the whether we should eat food given to idols or not, Paul says, he who eats gives thanks to the Lord. And he who doesn't eat <laughs> refrains unto the Lord. So they're both right. And there are people to dispute says, you know, if you're a Christian, is Jesus Lord? Is your view honouring the Lord? I'm quite sure Eudias would say, yes. And Jesus said, well done. And Cynthia would say, yes. And Jesus said, well done. And what does that do? Well, it means that no longer can you, the ISA, say, I'm right and you're wrong? But you can say, I'm right and you're not wrong. See, the Bible says, everyone, every servant, is answered with his own master. Who are you to judge the master's servant if he accepts him? So, while we might differ in things, you may have a different view from I. But you hold your view unto the Lord. The Lord accepts you. So should I. So that which we differ on becomes less important than we might honor him. And Paul exhorts them. And the word he uses is kenosis. Kenosis is, means empty. Empty. He says, I want you to adapt and adopt the attitude of Jesus, who being equal to God, made himself of no reputation and became a servant. Interesting at the time that Jesus washed his feet, the verse before it says this, Jesus, knowing that all power was given to him, washed the disciples' feet. Kenosis means to empty yourself 
esteem each other greater. I'll tell you that if you want to spend your time building someone else's reputation, you'll build your own. Kenosis and Kenonaya. What kind of fellowship we want to be? Fellow workers, fellow believers, fellow members of a one body. Edifying one another, contributing to one another, bearing one another's burdens, lifting one another up. We finish with the words of a wee hymn, an old hymn. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other close the simplified tear. Let's be a fellowship of Koina. Let's be the body that supports one another. Laugh and rejoice for those who rejoice. Cry with those who cry. Bear one another's burdens and shine like lights in the world. Amen.